0: You're listening to The Profile.
1: Hi, welcome to The Profile podcast. I'm Andy Peck. For the past 17 years, I've been interviewing Christian leaders in the church and charity worlds and in the wider culture. It was John Maxwell who famously said, leadership is influence. It's our prayer that these conversations will help you in whatever spheres you have influence for God whether in the home, at church, in your workplace or elsewhere. The show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. It appears within the mission statement of most local churches, and it is certainly the stated desire of most church leaders. The precise language will vary, but words like reach our community and bless our community are used for what the local church hopes to do. It comes, of course, from a recognition that the Christian and the church do not exist for themselves. Former Archbishop of Canterbury William Temple famously put it like this. The church is the only society on earth that exists for the benefit of non-members. But saying it and doing it are two altogether different things as found by one local church on the south coast, which surveyed its community and found that very few even knew the church building existed. I'm joined this week by Richard Eason, who, after an early career in IT and technology, was led to devote more of his time to what may be regarded as social action and work that was especially community focused. As well as serving as a church elder in Ashford, Kent, he was involved in the setting up and operation of a local YMCA, had time in a secondment to the DFES in Westminster, and went on to support effective community and statutory sector partnerships across the country, all focused on driving positive social transformation within communities. More locally, he's currently chair of Ashford Together, the social action charity of Churches Together in Ashford Kent, and of Numa Church Ashford. He's also just returned from a leadership conference in the United States, where the host church has a reputation for pioneering work in seeing transformation in its community. So welcome, Richard, to the Leadership Show.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Uh, it's lovely to chat. Was it really 40 years ago I was attending a church where, when I was at college and you were a member?
0: That's correct, yes. It seems much more recent than that, but and yet it probably is a fact that that is how long ago it was.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Well um i'm going to start with a with a toughish question if i might richard uh and that is this debate about the extent to which a church or christians need to engage in activities that are not directly verbally sharing the good news uh, i'm sure you're familiar with the ba- debate, you know uh, so let's just spend a few minutes on this and what your take on the issue is
0: yes it's one i'm familiar with uh, having sort of grown up in a a classically evangelical uh, church uh, background um it was probably because in that context it was it was all about preaching the gospel i can remember uh sunday evenings and sometimes uh, sunday afternoons handing out tracts on the street or um i grew up in newcastle and i remember speaking uh, that we used to have the, these evening sessions in the big market in newcastle um and we'd have a microphone and perhaps have, i'd be asked to do readings or or give my testimony um and so it was it was it was very focused on this on the gospel of salvation and uh, i think that the idea of, of social action was something that i think i, I it was never directly said but there there was this term the social gospel and it was perceived that these were people who kind of really lost sight of what it meant to truly be saved by Jesus and and they just went around doing good works um which is probably a, a very harsh description but it was in in that respect that the con- concept of of not doing social action and just simply preaching the gospel and you know I'm having a little badge saying Something like Jesus is the answer, and, and and we had badges like Jesus saves, and it was it was that kind of very much that focus that that kind of kept us locked into this um, what seemed to be a, well a, a bubble that we lived in that was so different. You know, we I I grew up in a world where I didn't go to this. It wasn't I didn't go to the cinema, believing it was spelled S I N N E R M A. Right. Yes. Uh, and and you know never reading the newspaper on sundays and, and never playing cards with playing cards all these things were kind of taboo i suppose quite a victorian mindset and in a similar way social action was seen in that respect um, i guess i subsequently have learned that possibly realizing now that what i grew up in was what would be described as dispensationalist Mindset that, in a way, that idea of social action was seen in that context, and that the world was coming to an end soon. So we hadn't got time for that. We just had to get people saved. That's that's a little bit of how I kind of perceived it, and it wasn't until some years later that I saw things differently.
1: Right, right, sure. So, so, what kind of projects, Richard, demonstrate the kind of things you would advocate as being valuable? alongside i'm I, i'm sure you still pre- believe in the preaching of the gospel but oh yes yes. That, yes well i
0: guess it was um one of the things i from quite a young age and probably not not around the same time that we first met um i was conscious that uh, that our church wasn't the only church uh, there were other churches so we started to do um some i was obviously a lot younger then so i was involved in youth work and we started to do things with young people and that ultimately led to you mentioned my sort of context the ymca getting involved in we were going to employ a youth worker to go out and do detached youth work on the streets and work with the schools still quite focused on this idea of um preaching just purely the gospel and getting people saved and really it was when we got in i got involved with the ymca i realized the desperate social poverty that existed in our communities and began to get involved in that that has you know, led on to the kind of things that uh, having being chairman of churches together in Ashford um, and becoming involved in Numa Church, which we used to be a vineyard church. One of the things that the vineyard would emphasize is the importance of of um, what we call uh, the compassion programs. And they typically would include things like uh, maybe a food bank or a, uh, having baby's clothes. Um we uh, it was it was probably when I became the the chair well it was when I became the chair of, of, of Churches Together that we were approached by the local council and asked to run a Winter night shelter. So that's become a useful kind of project, although the pandemic has somewhat disrupted that. Uh, and more recently I guess lots of communities have experienced this uh, having refugees move into your neighbourhood. We've had one of our big hotels here taken over by the home office and 190 odd refugees living there. So in one sense we find ourselves kind of pushed into things that you would describe as as social action Um, and they are helpful and we've seen lives transformed through those things and you know we've because we've been able to be Jesus, not preach at people, but just to show them love and compassion. So we found those sort of things very helpful and very productive. Um, last year, we thought we'd try and look at how we could do more. and we've used data from people like the Office of National Statistics, and they have all sorts of very in-depth data to write down to sort of postcode level. And, and those are quite revealing about crime, about poverty, about child poverty, about health, mental health, etc. But it, it's been difficult to translate that into what we might do as, as, as practical action. Um, I, one of the things I found very helpful, um, people may have heard of the Cinnamon Network, and uh, they have a, a database on their website giving some fantastic examples of really helpful projects that churches across the country have, have implemented, and they offer the opportunity to sort of replicate those, and they're really helpful because they come with a guidance on how to do it. So in, in the sense of, you know, what kind of projects have I found that uh, have been valuable? Some of those I've described, and those I would point to with uh, from people like Cinnamon Network.
1: Excellent. Uh, um, Richard, we connected again, uh, partly because you were attending a church conference that I was interested in. I mean, I wasn't likely to attend because it's uh, Bethel Church, Redding, California, which was a long distance for me. Um, And that that church has seen significant moves of God in healing the miraculous as a training school where people all over the world come. But it's less perhaps known well, perhaps, for its uh, local community work. So a, a couple of questions, really. What was what did you make of that aspect of their work as a, as a kind of template for churches? a very big church, of course. Uh, yes. And then secondly, what did you learn at the conference? Um, and I know one speaker in particular yes. was a blessing to you. So uh, yeah. talk to me about the, the social action at, at Bethel Church in Reading first.
0: Um, my first encounter with them has always been um, partly through the writings of Bill Johnson, who's the, the leader there. Um, and... Uh, We visited there, first of all, in 2018, and I didn't really know a great deal about them at that time. Um, But I remember um, one of the other leaders, uh, Chris uh, Vallotton, or Vallotton, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, um, talked about how they had recognised the importance of engaging with their local community, and they went to their local town leadership and and just simply asked them, how can we serve you? And it just started out quite simply... um, I think they have a thing called the the, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministries, but uh, th- some of the work that they did was very natural. It was simply helping to clear up local parks and clean the streets and make the place more attractive. Um, and through that, they began to, I think a lot of local authorities can somewhat be, sometimes can be mistrustful of the church, thinking they have a, a secondary agenda. Well, yes, we do, but we're not trying to hide that. We're being quite open about it. Largely, it's to love our community and see it thrive and prosper. Um, and gradually, they moved on from just simply cleaning the streets to being asked into conversations, into meetings, and they were given buildings that were really the council couldn't afford to maintain or support, and they refurbished those and saw them becoming used by the wider community. And in fact, at the meeting, uh, the leaders conference just been to, one lady came to talk, uh, and she had... Been a, I think she'd been a nurse, and she. it was suggested that she might stand as mayor. And she's become mayor of Reading, and in the five <laughs> years that she's been involved, they've seen the town transform. Parks that were no-go areas of the community are now thriving family gathering places. They've seen crime rates fall. Uh, they've seen businesses prosper. Uh, in fact, I, I flew from uh, San Francisco into Reading because at one time it was very difficult. You had to drive there. It's a five-hour drive from San Francisco. Now, I think there's four flights a day into uh, into, Red- into Reading from both Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh, so I guess it would be hard, well, let's say the local authority may not claim or recognise that it's the impact of, of Bethel Church uh, on their community, but it's clear that they've had a, they have been a significant part of that. When you consider that something like 10% of the population of Reading are either directly or indirectly associated with Bethel Church. And that's just one church in Reading. There are other big churches as well. So you could say that the kingdom of God is active in Reading.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Richard. And um, what did you make of the conference as a whole? I, I know there was uh, one speaker there who you'd already read um, some of his material.
0: Yes, Um the main speaker was a gentleman called Ed Silvoso, which some may have heard of. He uh, is the brother-in-law of the late um, Louis Palau, who some may recall from, I think one time was kind of the, the sort of um, the younger version of Billy Graham in his day, and uh, and he'd been very involved in with Louis Palau in the big mission things, but learnt that in fact they weren't that effective in seeing people stay in the church. I think it was only about six percent. And I originally came across him back in the 90s. He wrote a book called That None Should Perish. And that talks about a process called prayer evangelism and about churches getting together and going into their community and literally going door to door and asking them, is there anything we can pray for? And then following through on that, saying as they pray for those things, they began to see amazing things happen. And people began to think, well, God perhaps is still around and real. Um more recently he's written a book called ecclesia e-k-k-l-e-s-i-a which is a a word that's normally translated in our bibles as church um but he in the book and it's a book i read in 2020 just the beginning of the pandemic and was very struck by partly because of the the things i've become involved with um and he talks and in in fact his talks at the the leaders conference were very much around that book Uh, and it's a Uh, we had a free copy given to us and it's a book i recommend apparently the 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 words ecclesia is one of a a number of words that jesus uh kind of took was from what would have been greco-roman words so words like evangelist and apostle and ecclesia were political words not words that were common within jewish thinking and jewish talk they they referred to if you like the local authority, the ecclesia, was the gathering of leaders who came into a place to implement the Roman Empire's culture and way of living. And there was another thing called a conventus, which is a smaller group of people, usually maybe of two or three. And apparently even two or three Roman citizens, if they agreed on something, it carried all the weight of Rome behind it. Right. And that yes. echoes about when Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together to oh, give my yeah. name. Hmm. Um And it was very much about how we need to recognize that we all carry the authority of the King of Kings, the authority of heaven, the authority of the kingdom of God. And his talks were very much along the lines that our homes, it's not just our church buildings, our gatherings are important, but each of us within our own homes, in our own neighborhoods, carry that presence and that authority and that ability to bring the kingdom of God uh, and to see culture and lives transformed and that was very much the, the focus and his challenge to all of us to sort of understand that and then to put that into practice
1: well wow, it sounds wonderful Richard yeah um I mean we could talk more about that but um I, I think I want to get onto the kind of practical side for, for some listening for whom this may be a bit of a mind shift <laughs> um you know they, they see their job as building up their local church um um and I just you know maybe putting on super attractive services um so what kind of mind shift is needed for local churches collectively and individuals personally to to try and be salt and light um reflecting on these books and your own experience um it, it's it's
0: it's something that i it's taken me a while to kind of work through because in a way i've i've come from a particular uh, mindset as well and I, I understand that the challenges that this can present i do perceive though that that there's the ch- that god has been working in the church already so i'm not sure it's as big a mind shift as perhaps it was even uh 10 years ago um there's still uh, some challenges we have to deal with around the idea of i guess those We we kind of talk about those words, the the gospel uh, of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. And clearly the gospel of the kingdom involves, includes absolutely the gospel of salvation. Because, uh, But in a way, I guess I'm using this terminology which may be familiar to some and perhaps a little alien to others, but it is a a biblical term, I believe. So I think I'm fairly safe on fairly safe ground. But the, the mind shift for me was first of all this recognition of the needs in our community, much as we might think that 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 from the days when I was in the in the sort of my upbringing and the, and the sort of anti-social gospel thing, and the idea that now we've kind of because of Christian action we've kind of the state now have taken on a lot of that work on our behalf. The reality is, and I think it's become patently obvious since certainly two thousand and eight. Uh, with 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 uh, austerity and cuts, that the state does not do those things. That there is enormous need in our community, and and it would appear that we seem to have a hugely, as a state, as a, state, a nation state, uh, a blind eye to those those issues. And so the opportunity, or and the need for us to step into that space as followers of Jesus, not least because when Jesus, you know, the, the old parable about the the sheep and the goats, you know, it was simply a, a glass of water and a bit of bread and visiting somebody in prison. You know, and Jesus said, and when you did the least of this, you did it to me. Um, so it's clear that to be involved in doing practical things for people with no agenda attached, with no demand that they sort of now receive Jesus because we've done this nice thing. You know, the old days of singing for your supper, uh, when, when soup kitchens were around, um, uh, uh, just that is uh, you know that just not the way we do it because it's the mind shift is largely about we on un, un, this understanding that we individually carry God's presence so when we come together then theoretically there should be an even greater amount of it um and and one of the things i i found is just as I seek to become intimate with Jesus as I seek his face as I spend time with him um as I read his word that's I find myself just going out and even just talking to people on the street. And suddenly people start telling you that about their back pain or, or their risk of losing their job. And there's opportunity there just simply to say, well, Hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And they think you're going to go home and pray. But one of the big mind shifts for me was actually I can pray for them there and then. And, whether they believe it or not, just the fact that somebody is prepared to do that seems to have an enormous impact. That that this isn't just some abstract thing. This is very real and very tangible. And you know, more recently, and much as we've all become very familiar now with doing our services online and um, uh, become, if you like, much. I mean, talk about sort of contemporizing our, our services and the songs are, are, are much more. Uh, we've gone through that phase of being more kind of contemporary ultimately the thing that i've we've seen all sorts of people it's not necessarily the style of the service it's individual encounters it's god's presence that makes the difference and i i could argue that you know you could have a rubbish service but if god's presence is there yeah. then that will transform lives
1: Oh, wonderful. And I know that's
0: not social action and all that kind of thing, but that is that is at the core of it.
1: No, sure. Um, and, uh, Mitchell, we, uh, as we chatted before uh, doing this recording, you were talking about your, you know, you love actively engaging with people to develop creative and better ways of living and doing things. Um, I'm just wondering, I mean, that's a wonderful leadership trait, actually. That's what leaders should be doing, releasing. Um, what can that, you know, what what does that look like for, for you, For for leaders listening in terms of equipping others?
0: Well, it's an interesting thing. One of the challenges that Ed Silvoso made at the at the end of this conference was that if you're somebody who can see opportunities and can uh, see people who can fill the spaces in making those opportunities become a reality, then you have an apostolic anointing. That sounds really grand, I know. Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it, it, look, we, we kind of made those words sound grand, I think, but you know you just take it down to a simple thing that that that's what the bible describes that as you know if you see a need and you know people you think can fill that need and you have the ability to to place them you know you see somebody and 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 this is a it's not a complex thing um it starts with one as i said intimacy with with jesus just just you just got to press into him he is so desperate for each one of us to come to him, and he is so excited he's, he's like, you know if anybody's got a dog or a pet and uh, and you go away and when you come home it, it, it's so excited to see you mm. and so thrilled well i 'm not trying to i don't want to be sort of sound like i'm being a little bit bit uh, inappropriate, but that 's how God is with us mm. when we choose to come and spend some time with him. He's so excited and blessed and and as we do that. And and we we you know meet him and and encounter him. We kind of gas something of his heart for people around us, and as you do that, you'll you will find that he will bring people to you. And as I said, you know, simply like an example recently, I was standing in a queue in a local shop, just buying a few bits and bobs, and a guy behind me just randomly started talking to me about how. He'd been doing this work and it was hard work and he wasn't getting on with his employer and, he, and he'd been doing it for years, but they were trying to make him do it differently, etc. And I thought, why why are you telling me these things? You know, I'm, I'm busy. I want to go somewhere. And then I just felt the Holy Spirit say, well, listen. And then when a moment arises, at the very least, just say, can I pray for you? And I did that. And I, I have no idea what the outcome was. Mm. But he went away with some peace. And I may meet him one day, but that's what, for me, it's begun to look like. And I and I have seen, obviously, beyond that, that that's what God's heart is for that person. And I was only reading this morning about um, uh, somebody else, uh, somewhere else had this idea that they wanted to reach their community. And they came up with this idea of having a what they called a chair of blessing. And it was in a very busy area, and apparently this particular Area where they lived, they could, there was a market and things like that. So I know we've heard of healing on the streets and things like that, and which we've done as a church, which people kind of seem to want to avoid. Um, but this chair of blessing thing, they would just say, oh, you know, just, you know, we just want to sort of say good, some good things about you. We don't want to be nice to you. And and it starts out by something you know, in the simplest form saying to somebody, well, that's a nice pair of shoes you've got on there, or you're looking, you know, you've got, I like your hairstyle. And it's something, as I listened to this, I thought, and they were saying that then what happens is they begin to get God sort of beginning to, you begin to see people as God sees them. And I see something in you. And in all the things that we do, whether it's the winter night shelter or the food bank or it's those create opportunities for us to come into contact with people who are needy. They know they're needy, but they see their need simply as food or um somewhere warm and safe to sleep but actually their need is to know that they're loved valued and precious and most of them have very low levels of self-esteem they've come from very complex situations many of them have come from a care background they've never known a father's love well we can be the channel for that for them and it's learning to recognize that and then having the courage to step into it and frankly don't worry about whether you get it wrong because i've found that Whatever you say, it blesses people and it's not my responsibility at the end of the day. All I do is plant a seed, and that's what we're called to be. You know, Jesus said, you know, scatter those seeds and 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 right, others may gather the harvest and they will, and the harvest will be plentiful. But it starts out by those simple actions of me walking more closely with Jesus and then just being ready to be, meet people on the street, because he will bring people to you.
1: Richard, it's been terrific to chat. Yeah, sadly, uh, yeah. sadly time's, time is always defeats us, doesn't it? But, um, <laughs> it does. But thank you so much for, for all that you've shared. It's a pleasure. All right. It was a joy to chat with Richard Eason, chair of Churches Together, Ashford in Kent, and one of the elders at Numa Church uh, in the same town reflecting on a leadership conference that he attended at Bethel Church, Reading, California. Uh, I think that's worth listening back to. Uh, loads of gems there for us to uh, reflect upon. And Richard uh, mentioned a couple of books, uh, Ed Silvoso, S-I-L-V-O-S-O, uh, That None Should Perish, and particularly his book, Ecclesia, Colon rediscovering God's instrument for global transformation. So look forward to your company again next Sunday god bless you've been listening to the profile
0: in association with premier christianity magazine